My name is uh, Jason Taylor, and I'm the biblical soul care pastor here at Quorum Dale. And it is a privilege of mine to open the Word of God with you this morning. But I'm going to need your help. Children, I need your help specifically. So we have three different verses that we need to be reading here. And so as we pass out the the Bibles, uh, the ushers, if you don't have a Bible, the ushers will give you one. But as we pass out the Bibles this morning, children, I'm going to ask you to look up the verse, and we're going to find a volunteer to read this verse for us all together. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Parents, help your children. They may need a little help finding this passage. Jonathan Camper is right here. He's going to help us. He's got a microphone, and he's going to come to you. So just go ahead and raise your hand when you think you've got. Looking for maybe a third, fourth, or fifth grader, someone who wants to read our first scripture this morning. Anybody? Down in front. Perfect. Right down front. Awesome. Who is this? All right, Miss Evie Swanson. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Wow, nice job. Let's give her a round of applause. And just to say thank you, we've got a little Starbucks gift card for you for your courage. Nice job. Way to go. This verse is clear this morning. God created us in his image. That's point number one that we want to unpack today. God created us in his image. I've titled the message, The Imago Dei. Imago Dei is Latin. Now, we like Latin around here. Quorum Deo, right? in the presence of God, for the glory of God. Imago Dei means in his image. God created us, Imago Dei. God created us in his image. Now you'll notice in verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. In verse 27, he said, he repeats, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So three times in two verses, God said, you are created in my image. Do you think it's important? It is. In fact, I would say it's very important. And I thought in this this new year, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to foundations. Let's talk about the Imago Dei. Let's talk about being made in God's image. Because God meant for there to be some similarity between humankind and God. But have you ever thought about what God is like? Have you ever had that thought cross your mind? Check out this video. God looks like a person. I think God will have green eyes. Why do I always think of wearing a hoodie? I'm drawing him clothes. I don't really know if he has clothes because I can't draw him naked. Who's wearing his uh, masculine 
God t-shirt. Gotta put that God on there. Put some jewelry on his head. He's in his hoodie, so we're not gonna be able to see his hair, guys. I don't think he has hair. I think, you know, it's hard to keep having hair if you've been alive for, you know, this many millions of years. He's kind of self-conscious about not having hair. I just would hope hope that he would look like a regular person. Guy has a big hat on legs. <laughs> he has a blue shirt and blue pants and very hairy arms. Do you think God's up there in his God t-shirt with his hoodie covering his bald head because he's self-conscious? He might be. I, I don't know. You know, here's the reality. No one's ever seen God face to face. So do we really know what God looks like? No, we really don't. But here's what we often tend to do. We tend to make God like us. But in this passage, it's very clear. God made us like him. Now, let's also be clear. God is spirit. He's not flesh and human. And so as we think about him being spirit, I don't think that he's got two arms, two legs. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a beard and a bald head. He's not got jewelry on his head. Instead, it's more about It's more about who he is. See, here's the main point of the passage. Humans in their entirety were made to resemble God to the world, but not in what we look like. We don't look like God, but in who we are and what we do. That's really important as we build this foundation for the year 2024. It's not about what we look like. It's about who we are and about what we do. Let's unpack this truth a little bit further. If we're going to think about what God looks like, we need to think properly about God. Think properly about God. Verse 27 says, God created. Like, don't miss it. By his power and through his son, God spoke the universe into existence. He spoke everything into existence. God spoke and it was. God spoke and you became. He created you. In fact, the very source of your life is God himself. God created. Also be clear, it's the triune God who created. If you notice, it says, let us, and in our image, and our likeness, in verse 26. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit made the entire universe, made you an intentional tremendous act of creativity. God is such a creative God. God created also tells you a little bit about God's love. When you think about it, all the big story of the Bible is dependent on God creating. Creation, fall, redemption, future perfection, the entire story is dependent on a loving God who created you, because you're a knucklehead. You have fallen. You have sinned. God loved you immensely, sent his son in the form of flesh so that we might be redeemed and perfected forever and all eternity. The story of God creating you in his image is not just a story. It's something very important and tells you something very important about God's love. 
God created also tells you something very important about his authority. The creator has authority over the creation. He has authority in how the universe runs, and he has authority over all of us. He has the authority to establish order and make things his way because God created. I want to share something with you. This is perfect for Iowa. It's a barn. You might not be able to see it way in the back there, but it's a ceramic barn. And on the bottom of this barn, it has my name and ninth grade. Ninth grade art class, I made this barn. I created it. It's mine. In other words, I have authority over this barn. I can do whatever I want to do with it. If I want to take this barn and I want to make it the biggest paperweight you've ever seen to hold my Bible open, I could do that. If I want to put this in the center of my house on a coffee table, I could do that, with my wife's permission, of course. (laughs) If I wanted to take this barn and I wanted to smash it right here and right now, I could do that because I have authority over this little barn. In the same way, God created us. God created the universe, and he has authority. Now, that's sometimes hard to grasp. It's hard to submit to. It's hard to own, but so important that God created. I want to also move on to God created us. God didn't just create, God created you. So we need to think properly about God, but we need to think properly about yourself. Think properly about yourself. Verse 27 continues, God created man. Now I want to just stop here for a second and say that this is not talking about man only, like males. He created males and females. How do we know that? Because it's explicit in the text. It says, male and female, he created them. And so when you see the word man in this passage, it's not talking about males, it's talking about mankind, humankind. It's a general term. It's talking about God creating all of you in this amazing way. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. There is something amazing and special about you as a human. It's special because you're the top of the food chain, right? You are below God, but above creation. But it's also special because he created you in his image. God created mankind in his image. I want to introduce you to someone this morning. This is my dog, Sebastian. Come here. Come here. We love Sebastian. Just lost my, hang on just a second. Should not bend over with a microphone on. Isn't he cute? He's special to us. Now he does some things like humans. You know, he sits on the couch like a human. He loves, this is a carrot. He loves carrots like a human. He loves to sit at the window and look outside and watch his TV. You know, all the squirrels and all the people that walk by. He loves every bit of it. 
And we love him. We have another dog too. Her name is Sadie. She's a little too big to bring today on stage, so we just brought Sebastian. And in some ways, he's a part of our family, but he's not. He is, but he's not. He's wonderful and special to us, but he's not a human. He's wonderful and special to God, but he's not created in God's image. He's a dog. And so while we as mankind are above dogs and everybody else, all the other animals, and below God, there's something very, very unique and special about humans. You know, Jesus himself said it, Matthew 6. When Jesus was on the Sermon of the Mount, right? He's on the Mount, he's talking. He said he was talking about God's provision. And he talked about the birds. Look at the birds. Do the birds not... Uh, they don't sow, they don't grow anything, they don't reap anything, they don't store in barns. And yet God provides for them. And then he makes a very interesting statement in Matthew 6. He says, are you not of more value than they? What makes you in greater value than that dog or the birds? It's because you're made in God's image. Now, I love dogs and I love animals, we just went to San Diego to see the zoo. I love animals. There's no slight on animals, but God made you special, wonderful, through and through, because God created you in his image. Now, it's very important to note that you're not just created to bear the image of God. You don't have the image of God. You are the image of God. That's really important because it makes up your entire essence. You can't separate yourself from the image of God. You cannot cease to bear the image of God. You are a human. It's essential to you as human. And there are two senses in which mankind bears the image of God. There's the structural sense and the functional sense. Two senses, the structural sense and the functional sense. The structural sense is all the endowments and gifts and capacities that God has given mankind. Adults, I have eight capacities or structures that you would, might run write down. It might be a little much for some of the younger folks. Mankind has rational powers. So for example, we can reflect God and we reason and we can then enable us to think God thoughts now. Our rational powers are made structurally in the image of God. We have moral sensitivities. We reflect something of the moral nature of God, who is the super determiner of all right and wrong. Mankind does not determine right or wrong. God does. But we, can, we have a sense of moral sensitivities that reflects God's image. We have a capacity for fellowshipping with God in worship. This reflects the fellowship that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have with each other. What a powerful fellowship. We have the ability to respond to God and to fellow human beings. And this imitates God's ability and willingness to respond to us as we pray to him. We have the ability to make decisions that reflects in a small way the supreme directing power of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. We have a sense of beauty. 
It's a feeble reflection of the God who scatters beauty all throughout this world and throughout the universe. But as we think about it, how beautiful these mountains are, how beautiful the lakes are. Iowa, eh. Rockies, Colorado, yeah. Our gift of speech is an imitation of him who constantly speaks to us, both in his word and through creation. Our gift of song echoes the God who sings over us and rejoices over us. In all these capacities, we structurally are made in the image of God. But then there's the functional sense. And the functional sense is how we live in love towards God and neighbor. How are we living in right relationship with God and with others? And it's also this idea of this concretely visible sanctification. Now, sanctification is a big theological word. That means we're growing in our holiness. We're growing in how we look like God. Not that we're just made in the image of God, but that we functionally act in ways that represent him well in holiness and obedience. The functional sense means living in harmony with God's will for all of mankind. It's submission to God's authority and obedience to his commands. Now, image God, this is important, is both a noun and a verb. Who knew that you were going to school today, right? A noun and a verb. The structural sense, we are made in the image of God, that's a noun. And functionally, we image God, that's a verb. The structural and functional senses, though, are inseparable. You have both of them, and you cannot take either of them away. They are how you're created. They are your essence. You are made in the image of God. To emphasize one over the other would also be faulty. In both of these ways, mankind is made to image God. So we think properly about God. We think properly about yourself. Let's also think properly about creation. Verse 26 says, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air of the heavens, sorry, the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see, God made mankind in the world both to have relationships and to rule. We have dominion or rule. And in these capacities, we need to be obedient to him. In this, we can represent him well to the world. We image God to the world in how we work and we care for creation. See, we cultivate land for crops. We raise livestock. We mine for minerals. We redirect water for energy and on and on and on and on. In other words, we're stewards of the earth. And we should be good stewards of the earth. Another word for that is an ambassador. We rule on the earth as a steward or an ambassador. Now, this is really fascinating and important. You are not God. Isn't that enlightening this morning? You were made in the image of God, but you are not God. You reign and rule as an ambassador, which means that you represent the authority of another. 
You represent another country. You represent another leader. You represent another king. We need to embody the best interests of that king. We need to embody his desires and not our desires. We need to selflessly promote God's desires for this world, not our desires for this world. And that's explicit. I'm not making this up. 2 Corinthians 5 calls you an ambassador. It's an ambassador for reconciliation, an ambassador for the gospel, an ambassador for relationships. And so in all your relationships, in all your rule, you should be representing God as an ambassador. But there's a problem. And that problem is that Adam corrupted God's image in us. That's point number two. Adam corrupted God's image in us. Now, I've got a second verse. Need your help? Children, Genesis chapter three, verse six. Go, find it in your Bibles. Genesis chapter three, verse six. Jonathan's out, he's ready, and he will find someone that can read it. For another kid, third, fourth, or fifth grader. Can you read nice and loud? All right. Yeah, verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. So she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Excellent job. Give them a round of applause. Way to go. And got a little Starbucks gift card just for you, for your courage and bravery for reading this morning. You know, it's fascinating. Adam, at the beginning, right, back in the garden, he's in this idyllic world, and what happened? He stuck his stinking hand in the cookie jar. You know, my wife makes amazing cookies, chocolate chip cookies. They're really a temptation for me. And she puts them out on the counter, and they are cooling, and guess what she says? Don't touch the cookies. No, I'm too much like the old man from the Christmas story, right, who goes in with the turkey and he's cutting it and all that kind of stuff and he's sneaking it before it's ready. That's me. I'm going in to find a cookie. She gave me a known truth, a known law, if you will. Don't touch the cookies and I'm going to go after them. That's what Adam did. You see, Adam was responsible for naming the animals, tending the garden, and being fruitful and multiply. Now, isn't that every Iowan's dream? Think about it, right? You get to have a bunch of animals and name them as an Iowan. You get to tend to your garden, and you get to have a big family and lots of intimate relationship. That's an Iowan's dream, right? Well, he's living in this idyllic place, and he still had to have the cookie in the cookie jar. He had to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He had to do that, And he violated a known command of God. The one and only command God gave him that he should not do. And he took of the fruit. He caved when tempted. He ate of the fruit and he sinned by violating this known command of God. Now, I just mentioned a word that I know you're here in church, but many people don't like to talk about. And that's sin. Even churches today are considering it taboo to use the word sin. But the reality is it's in the Bible. 
Adam violated God's command. He violated the image of God created in him in a functional way. He disobeyed God. And you need to understand that sin has consequences. Sin has an impact. So recognize sin's impact. Because Adam's sin that day didn't just affect Adam, it affected me and it affected you. As he violated the image of God, he corrupted it. And he corrupted it for all of mankind to follow. Now, I just want to note that he didn't just eliminate the image of God. That would be eliminating you as a human. That's impossible. You are functionally, structurally made in the image of God. But Adam corrupted that image. Structurally, we are still able to make decisions. We're still able to be creative. We can build relationships. We have a sense of beauty. We can speak. We can express in song and so on. Mankind can generally be moral, right? One of your neighbors might be more moral than the other neighbor. We can help each other. We can serve each other. We're still on the top of the food chain. Mankind is the dominant being on the planet, and we still rule over this planet. So structurally, we are made in the image of God, but functionally, functionally, we are corrupted. We are corrupted, totally depraved. Every part of our functional being affected. Our thinking process is poisoned by sin. Our philosophies, our belief systems avoid God's truth in many ways. We create songs and movies and art that expresses a sinful nature rather than a godly nature. Our relationships are broken. How's your marriage this morning? Sometimes our marriages struggle the most. How is your relationship with your children? And children, how are your relationships with your parents? This is because of sin in the world. It's because of Adam's sin, and it's because of your sin. Sin is real, and we are corrupted, and the image of God in us is corrupted. And apart from God's intervention, we're unable to love each other well. We're unable to love God well. We are unable to know true thoughts about God. And apart from his salvation and sanctification, mankind will continue to struggle. We need him. We need him. Adam acted as the federal head of all humankind. Now, have you noticed something? Eve was the first one to take the fruit. Then she gave it to her husband and he ate. Why is it that Eve is not blamed for all of this sin and corrupting the image of God in us? It's because Adam was, by God's design and role, the head. And he acted as the head, the federal head of all humankind. And his sin affected you, and it affected me. And now we're all a mess. Have you ever gone to the fridge to make a sandwich? And you go and you pull out the bread, and you pull out the lunch meat, and you slice up your tomato, You put some lettuce on it or whatever you put on it, and then you go get the cheese. Look, the cheese is the crown of every sandwich. It's the highest and best part of every sandwich made. And you go in the fridge, and you open the door, and you open the drawer to find the cheese, and you pull it out. You don't find cheese. You find green, furry something or other. Now, you still recognize that it's cheese, But are you going to eat it? 
Are you going to crown your sandwich with green furry stuff? No. That's the image of God in us. That mold goes throughout the cheese. It's corrupted the entire thing. You can still tell it's cheese, but it's corrupted. That's you. That's the image of God in you. That's the image of God in me. It's still there, but it's corrupted. But there's hope. Our third point today is that Jesus renews God's image in us. Jesus renews God's image in us. All right, third and final verse. Now, I think, have we had two girls both times? Where's Jonathan? No? No, we had a boy and a girl. Boy and a girl, awesome. All right, so let's find someone else. Genesis 3.15, let's read it. All right, I think we have somebody way up here in the balcony. Someone excited in the balcony. Love it, love that excitement. Love that enthusiasm up there. Got a little walk to get up there. Genesis 3.15. That was so fast, I think they were looking ahead. They were on to me. All right, you ready? I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Excellent job. Give him a round of applause. And a little Starbucks gift card just for you. Boy, parents, you're going to love me. Sugar and caffeine up your kids. It's great. Jesus renews God's image in us. You see, now because of, <clears throat> this is, a, this, let me back up a second. This is a fantastic verse. In fact, theologians call it the proto-evangelium, which means the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. So here we have God's image made in us. Mankind messes it up and immediately The gospel is taught. The gospel is mentioned. So let's unpack the verse quickly. There's now enmity between the serpent and Eve. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Hatred, bitterness. The serpent wants to see her demise. It's war between them. It's war between the serpent and the image bearers of God. And the serpent is Satan. He's the enemy, not just a mere snake. Some people read this and they think it's just a snake. And the only thing that's cursed is the relationship between humans and snakes. I kind of like snakes. You know, they're kind of great. I used to have a snake as a pet. But you know what? I don't think that's what this is all about. How do I know it's not just a snake? It's a talking snake. I've never had a snake that talked. Not only did the snake talk, but it deceived Eve. It got her to do one thing, violate a known command of God. It's more than a snake. It's Satan, the father of sin, the father of deceit, the father of lies. The serpent Satan also hates not only Eve, but Eve's offspring. It says here, you shall bruise his heel and he shall bruise his head. That's referring to the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of Eve. Now, this is fascinating. When you think about it traditionally, this verse is known to be talking about Jesus, that Jesus is the offspring of Eve. There's a lineage, a human lineage. Jesus becomes human. Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus lives perfectly. He rises again for you. And Satan hated him. But that's the bruising of the heel. It seemed kind of like the bruising of the head, right? Jesus dying on the cross. It seems like a good head blow, A head blow is certainly more decisive than a heel blow, right? 
unless you're an Ohio State fan and the quarterback went down because he busted his heel. Sorry, that's a whole, a whole sad side of me I just don't even need to talk about. But a head blow is certainly more decisive than a heel blow. And here, Jesus rises again and crushes the serpent's head. And the big story of the narrative of redemption in the Bible is amazing because Jesus loves you and he is alive forevermore. Currently, he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's waiting to come back and rule in this world. We are also Eve's children. Verse 20 of the chapter says, she's the mother of all living. While there's enmity between the devil and Eve, there's enmity between the devil and you. Satan does not like you. He hates you. He is not out for your good. He's out to destroy you. Jesus is out for your good. It is Jesus who renews the image of God in you. It's Jesus who gives you the ability to have a relationship with God again. It gives, it's Jesus that renews the ability to have relationships, proper relationships with each other and rule over creation in the right way. Why? Because he lived perfectly. He died and he rose again. Hebrews 1.3 says he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the perfect God image to the world. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God. He is the son of God who perfectly lived as an ambassador to the world. He is the perfect image of God. Think about Jesus' relationship with God the Father. Perfect. His worldview as he lived in the earth, perfectly aligned with the Father. His focus on the mission that God gave him, he was perfectly faithful and obedient to the Father. Think about his trust in the Father and his provision, perfectly dependent on the Father's provision while here on earth. Think about his relationships with others, perfect. He was living for others, not for himself loving them to the very end. Think about his use of emotions while here on earth, perfectly righteous, perfectly in control. Think about his extension of forgiveness, perfectly gracious. His relationship to the human world and his heavenly authority and human authority, perfectly humble. Think about his relationship with creation. It was perfect. His judgments were right. He is the perfect ambassador of the Father. And now while Jesus is the perfect image of God, he did so in wisdom and obedience, and he renews for you that image of God in you. Isn't that such great news? Isn't that such great news? Say it again. Isn't that such great news? Yes, it is. But you know what? You might be sitting here in this seat this morning, and you might feel stuck. I want to encourage you about biblical soul care. Now, shameless plug, biblical soul care pastor. But if you're in a small group this morning, if you're in a Bible study this morning, and you feel stuck, if you feel stuck in your relationship with God and with your relationship with others and with your relationship in the world today, then we, as a church, offer a more highly individualized, personalized care plan for you. 
It's called biblical soul care. And there are different opportunities for you to learn to grow and flourish, to prosper and thrive. We want you to prosper in your relationship with God. That's on your sheet. Write it down. Prosper, flourish in your relationship with God. We want you to increase your faith. We want you to love God above all things. We want you to know God's word. We want you to feel comfort and peace and hope in the identity that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to follow God's morality. We want you to obey him. We want you to worship him. We want you to bear fruit from a heart that loves him immensely. And biblical soul care can help you with that through biblical counseling. We want you to flourish in your relationship with other people. We want you to flourish with your wife. We want you to flourish with your children. We want you to flourish with coworker relationships and with friendships. That's why we offer marriage mentoring. What a great opportunity for you to get help with your wife. 2024, if you struggle in your marriage relationship, come. Come. We also have a marriage retreat. It's a perfect opportunity to get away with your spouse and intentionally grow and fine-tune your relationship. If you need mediation in any way, if you need parenting help or family counseling, we have counseling available as well. We have mediation between parties. If you need that kind of help because you're stuck, one of our biblical counselors can help you. We also want you to flourish in your relationship with creation in all the work that you do, and everything you do. Abraham Lincoln said, whatever you do, be a good one. We want you to thrive. We want you to flourish because that's living in the image of God over creation. We want you to make right judgments. We want you to deal with the tough stuff at work as these corporations are dealing with ungodly policies and ungodly culture. We want you to know how to handle those things well. And so we offer help. We have Freedom Group that can help you as well. It's starting up January 15th, shameless plug. There it is. Sign up. Go to our website and sign up. Friends, you are something special. And that's not just a cheesy phrase that's from the Bible. You are made in the image of God. You are the image of God to the world. And we want you to flourish in your relationship with God, your relationship with other people, and your relationship with creation. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity to bear your image. You truly have made us special, wonderful, amazing. And so we're so thankful for that privilege, that in your sovereign design and in your sovereign plan and with your amazing power, you created us in this special way. So Lord, not only did you create us this way, but you loved us enough to send your son as the perfect image bearer to the world. And you gave him for us so that we might have relationship with you and relationship with others and that this image in us that was corrupted might be restored and renewed. And so Lord, we love you so much. And because we love you so much, we want to image you in a way that is good and right and obedient and holy. So help us with that, Lord. Help us in the places 
that are obvious to us to be intentional. And in the places that we're stuck, Lord, help us to come to this church community that is here and ready and willing to help each other grow. In Jesus, your name, amen.